Good morning, family. If you want to open up your word this morning, we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, sorry, chapter 2. Chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. And um, as you turn there, um, what I'd like to do even before we begin is take a few minutes uh, really just to pray corporately. Um, we have a number of people uh, that are dealing with different things in particular this week. Um, uh, Ms. Margaret, Margaret Porter is in New Jersey visiting her daughter, uh, sorry, her sister, um, who is uh, likely in her last days um, saying goodbye to her and having some quality time. So we want to lift up Margaret and Elijah. We want to lift up Don. Don is going into surgery tomorrow to have a procedure done, so we're going to lift up Don. Um, and we're just continuing in prayer for our brother John with his leg surgery and Amanda uh, with the, the healing that they're going through. So could we do that together and just... Uh, Pray for God to continue to heal and work, as well as in, oh, Linda, you have your surgery coming up this week. Is that this week? That, so Linda's going in for a knee replacement on Thursday. Thursday, yes. Yeah, so we want to continue to lift her up as well. So let's bring this before the Lord together. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, you are faithful and steadfast. Your word is true, and when you've spoken, it is done and we just wait to watch it happen. We trust you, Lord, for the healing of the saints, the healing of our brothers and sisters, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you would wash over every person in this place, God. May your healing, Lord, come up, rush over them, Lord Jesus, giving new strength, God, to their spirit, and then rushing through into their body. Heal, God, in the deeper places first, God, and then I know that it penetrates and works throughout every part of us, God, mind, spirit, and body. Please be with Margaret and give her comfort and strength in this time. I pray for the family, Lord Jesus, of, of her sister. I also pray that for her sister, Catherine, Lord, I pray that she would come to know you as her personal Savior before she passes, Lord. May she know you. May your heart be softened. Lord, I want to lift up to you, Dawn. I pray just for a peace over her heart. I pray that you'd help her just to release any anxiety. Just let it go. Don't hold on to it. Let the anxiety go and just let the peace of Christ guide her, knowing that uh, she is in your hands and all is well. I pray for Linda, God, that you would give her peace too, knowing, Lord Jesus, that every moment, every interaction, every step, even if it seems like, um, there's delays, there's obstacles, everything is, is directed by you. So Lord, cause it a rest in you, Lord. And we pray that this surgery, God, would, would go well. We pray that it would be successful and she'll be walking around pain-free in no time because of your healing touch. And may you continue to heal John's leg, God, give him new strength. Amanda, Lord God, new strength to her knee. And every person in this place that is in recovery, Lord, may it be a recovery to the glory of God. We trust you in this place, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. 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 Oh, yeah, quickly. Can we wait for later? Thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to I jump into the word, guys, and I want to get going before it gets um, any later, really. Welcome to fall, by the way. It is officially here. I was outside last night coaching my son's football team, and it was in the 40s and chilly, and we are in, it's full, perfect football weather. How many, how many people enjoy, like, fall is like your jam? 
Yeah? Okay. It is, I, I do enjoy it's like the crispness of it, the smell in the air, but what I don't like is it, it means that winter is right around the corner. <laughs> That's the only part I don't like about it. So, but this is, this is perfect time to just enjoy the smells, the colors that are around us that are really very short-lived. This is a perfect time really to even drive up to uh, northern New England, New, New Hampshire and Maine, um, and go and see the foliage. There's probably just a week or two left of that. Anybody enjoy going and seeing the, fo- the, the foliage up, in, up there in New Hampshire and Maine? We love, my family loves to go up to Maine and see um, just, just the beauty, just getting away from the city, taking hikes through the mountains. It's just, it's just gorgeous. When you were younger, <laughs> the tricky part is getting there with a car full of young kids. <laughs> taking a three or four or more hour drive to get there, man, if you can get through that, that's like get parting the sea to get to the other side. Like once you're there, it's all, it's all good. But man, when you're in the middle of it, driving, I mean, it's not so bad now, but when the kids were younger, driving in every 10 minutes, are we there yet? Can I get out? I got to pee. She's touching me. He's looking at me. <laughs> and the rides, man, I think we learned to be patient because of our ch- the impatience of our children, I, I suppose. <laughs> but this waiting is, is hard. It's difficult, especially for, you know, a little five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, when 10 minutes feels like two hours. Are we there yet? Yeah, 15 minutes. We're 15 minutes away. Half an hour later. Are we there yet? Yeah, we're 15 minutes away. <laughs> no concept of time. Just, yep, 15 minutes. We'll be there. <laughs> But I think about this because I, I think about our, our, our walk as Christians. Like Christianity, man, this is a journey that we're on. It's not a, a destination somewhere that we're going, but it's just this journey. It's this process that, that we are in. And it's the waiting, the waiting, allowing God to do this more internal work, the waiting. Sometimes it's harder than others, the waiting. I, um, most of you know uh, our testimony with our oldest daughter, Arabella, when she was less than three months old, she suddenly, um, out of the blue, came down with uh, bacterial meningitis, this infection in her spinal fluid. And, um, you know, we, the moment we knew something was off, we rushed her to the hospital, and they did all these kinds of tests, and that's when they realized what it was. We knew something was off, we didn't know what it was, they found out, and at that point, it was a waiting game. Because even when they found out what it was, they didn't know what type of bacteria was causing it, so they didn't know how to treat it. So they had to wait more days for the test to come back, so then they could properly treat it. And they're saying, we, don't, we just have to be honest with you, we don't know if she's going to come out of this. And so we're just spending the days and the nights, countless hours in the hospital, just waiting, questioning, wondering, what is happening here and, and why? What, what's going on? This is this new, pure, innocent life. It's so difficult. She ended up coming out of that. The Lord touched her and healed her miraculously and, and restored her to complete full health. But in those moments, the waiting, the unsurety of it all, how it's all going to play out, that is, that is difficult. I think many of us can relate to these types of experiences in, in one way or, an, or another. Maybe waiting for a loved one to recover from an illness or, or waiting for a partner to share a life with, 
waiting for that promotion or some kind of job opportunity to open up so that there's a little bit of financial breathing room, waiting, waiting for the things of God. So regardless of the details, at some point, our patience in waiting tends to begin to wear a little bit thin. And sometimes it causes us to go as far as even questioning God. Wondering, is there something you want me to do here? Is there something you want me to learn before everything can just get better and we can kind of move on? Are we there yet? Can I get out? What's taking so long? We anxiously wait and watch for the things that matter most to our hearts. That's where our attention goes. Our attention goes to the things that we long for. And so we wait anxiously. We think about these things. Well, all the while, God is just waiting and watching for us to take all of our concerns, put it in his lap, and instead wait on him. See, it's often the hard times that get us to consider these things a little bit more seriously. It's not when things are going smoothly and going well. No, it's, it's when the pressure starts to, starts to press us and push us in. It pushes us to the Lord. And then all of a sudden we say, hey, what's going on here? It's the pressure. But when it's those pressures of life that drive us before him and, that, and drive us to say, can, can, can you do something here? What's happening? Are we there yet? If we stop long enough to listen to him, we realize that we're the ones sitting in the driver's seat. The steering wheel is in our own hands. We're in the state that we're in because we haven't relinquished control to the Lord. If we listen long enough and realize the seat that we're sitting in, that's a gift. That's a revelation from God. And in that time, we have the ability, the choice to unstrap the seatbelt, open the door, step out of the vehicle, and invite the Lord into the seat that he belongs in. See, he is the driver. He is the one that is moving us to the, to the destination. He's the one guiding this journey, not us. We don't dictate the journey. That's not our place. Our place is to sit and wait on him. And this is what he's calling us to, just come and wait on me. Wait on me. Don't wait on things from me. Wait on me. Listen. I want to show you things. You got to wait on me to see it, to hear it, to experience it. Psalm 46 is a psalm of David where it says this. We know the, um, the famous sentence, that passage that says, Be still and know that I am God. But a lot of times we overlook the context that it's sitting in there. We skip a few verses back, starting in verse 6. He says this, The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This verse is a wake-up call. 
Open your eyes, sober up and see who I am. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of all the activity, stop, acknowledge who he is and wait on him. The idea being presented is to stop striving, stop fighting. He's bringing it all to an end. Stop doing and just be still. Isaiah 64, 4 puts it this way. He says this, he says, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you, like you, who acts for those who wait for him. He's saying, he, this is God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. He's looking for us to wait on him. He's not looking for service or actions. He's not looking for, for movement. He's not looking for anything in particular except a people that consider him important enough to deliberately shape our life, shape our schedule around making time to wait on him. Looking for us to stop working and just wait. For those of you who were here last week, you know, we jumped into Ephesians chapter 2. And in that place, it tells us that we are God's workmanship and he is doing the work in us. We have no part in doing the tasks except to accept it and allow the work to be done. See, we are his handiwork. It's what he is doing in us. We just say, yes, I accept it. Or we take that hard stance and fight against it and refuse it, try to hold back. But he says, you are my workmanship. He is the one doing the work, not us. Our place is to just surrender to that work and allow it to happen so we can bring it to fruition. And it happens in the waiting. I think about what Jesus said, how he, Jesus said, I am the I am. And then I think about what it, Ephesians 2 teaches us, that he is doing the work and we are the work. He is doing it. I am it. And as he does the work, it turns my life into a statement, a testimony of God that says, he is, I am. See, Jesus alone can say, I am, I am. But my life, my life ought to be a declaration to the world that says, he is, I am. It points to who he is. Now, this, allowing this work to happen takes trust in what he's doing, especially in the times where the fire gets hot and the pressure gets real. It's difficult. Trusting in God's work, especially in times where we're not sure what exactly the work is he's doing. What exactly are your intentions? What is this all going to look like at the end when we can't see the final product? We got to trust. We got to trust the builder that he knows what he's doing and he's going to bring it to completion. And when it is complete, it's going to be good. We have to trust him. And this is where it can get a little bit tricky when we've, we're not sure what he's doing. What is he up to? What is his will? What is happening? See, not many of us would say with confidence this morning that we, we know what God's will for our lives is. But this is the very thing that God is working out in us. 
It might be new to us at the start when he begins the work. It's all new. It's all fresh. We're learning. But as time passes, once he's been at the work for a little while, we ought to be able to pick up a little bit upon, upon what he's doing just by sheer observation, just by experiencing. We see him begin to work, and now I see, okay, I see a little bit more, and then we build more trust and allow him to work in the deeper places. And then we see that he's more trustworthy, and we allow him to work in the deeper places, allowing him to go to the place he wants to go. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul quotes this scripture that we just read from Isaiah 64, and he says this. It's verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. In verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. There is a lot packed in this scripture here. In, ver in, in verse 9, he's saying, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined. He's talking about this is the way that things have been up until present day. No one knew, no one knows the will of God, the fullness of what he's creating and what he's doing. But then it goes on to say, these things God has revealed to us through his spirit. The will of God, before unknown by man, now can be known by man because of the Spirit of God. Now these things have been revealed to us because of the Holy Spirit. See, it says this, no one, in verse 11, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And what has God given us upon, upon our faith in Christ? The very Spirit of God. The one person, the one entity that understands and comprehends the things and thoughts of God is the thing that he has given to us. And there's purpose for it. And it says it in verse 12. So that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The one person that knows the mind and the heart of God, he's given to us to empower us. He wants you to know stuff. He wants you to know and understand his thoughts, his hearts, his feelings, his character. He wants those things to be revealed to us. See, he has given us one of the most intimate parts of himself. His spirit, the very spirit who knows his innermost thoughts. You have it. He wants to show you what he's up to. You have it. You have access. You have ability to know these things. We have no place to say, I just don't know what God is doing. I just don't understand his, his will. You have no place to say that because we have access to that. Now, whether or not we tap into that access is another thing, but we have it in us. 
The tendency is to run this way and that and seek counsel and go talk to this one and then, and then scramble and strive. But he said, he acts on behalf of those who wait on him, go to him with our questions and let his spirit bring the revelation that we're looking for. See, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is with his disciples and he tells his disciples the will of God. He tells them in Mark chapter 8 that he is going to be arrested and brought before trial, convicted and then killed and then raised again. But then Peter pulls him aside from the disciples after he, Jesus tells them this. And you might remember this story. Peter pulls him aside and begins to rebuke him for what he said. He said, no, that must not happen. Don't you know who you are? You are this, our Savior, He didn't want to hear the will of God, even though it was told him plainly. I wonder how many times God whispers things to us that we reject because it's not what we want to hear. Or we don't hear it because we're just too distracted by the noise and by the busyness of life. So it's there, it's being communicated, it's being put out, but I'm going this way and I'm going that and I'm running these errands and I I haven't set aside time to just wait. I haven't protected that time to close the door to all other communications, all other information, and just be alone with God so that the spirit that knows his thoughts and his mind can communicate to my heart and my mind and and meld me into his very character. In verse 14, it goes on to say that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, there's a reason that Peter rejected Jesus' will. Jesus told him in Mark 8, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, the natural person will reject God's will every time because it doesn't even make sense to him. It's confusing. If anything, it looks backwards. It doesn't make sense to the natural person. Spiritual things, the things of God, are discerned by spiritual people. And Peter was not acting and operating in the spiritual man. And so what did he do? He does what the natural man does. He rejected the will of God. Notice this one other thing from this example is this, that disciples of Christ have a choice always in what we set our mind to. We have the spirit, we have access to the mind and heart of God, but we decide if we use that access and learn and know the mind of God and then operate with that mind, or if we hold back and keep our mind on the things of man. Verse 15 Paul continues, he said, the spiritual person, check this out, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have, look at this, we have the mind of Christ. Wow. Do we, I mean, to grasp the power of that statement, the mind of Christ is in you. Now we choose. Are we going to think with that mind or are we going to think with the, the mind of the natural man which is still sitting inside of us? You have the mind of Christ. Which mind are we going to use? 
See, with the Spirit of God in us, we are held to a higher standard. It says, the spiritual person judges all things, but is judged by no one. It's a higher standard. We can kind of see where he's going with the, the fact that spiritual people with the mind of Christ judge all things, but how, how can this be? See, in love, God has empowered us. He has empowered his people with his spirit. He hasn't just given us freedom from sin and its effects and the death that comes through sin, but he's given us the spirit, and it's there to do an operation, to do work. It's there to work within us, again, as we surrender and allow it to do the work. And this is what the Holy Spirit in us does. It shows us God's will. And it affects both our discernment and our character. With the Spirit of God in us, we can see now things in a different light than we saw them before the Spirit of God was in us. And when we see through the mind of Christ, we can acknowledge and we can recognize what lines up with the character of God and what stands against it. What lines up in the will and the heart of God and what is opposed to it? We can know these things. The spiritual person with the mind of Christ has the ability to judge, not upon our own standards, but upon the word of God with the mind of Christ. So it's not even us making judgments and discerning, but it's us tapping into the discernment of the mind of Christ. This is why Romans 12, 2 challenges us. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't follow the habits and the way of life of this world, but instead go deeper into the deeper places and be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And now look at this, the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. With the mind of Christ, we can discern, we can know the will of God. It's not a question mark any longer. It shouldn't be when we have the Spirit of God in us. We can know these things. And it transforms us. When he transforms us in the mind, that reflects in every other area of our life. Because from our mind is where all these other things flow. The way that we perceive things. The way that we perceive ourselves, The way that we perceive the people around us. It's all directed by our mind. And so now we can discern the things that we observe as being according to his will or against it. And see, I love this because in this way, by giving his spirit to us, by giving us discernment, he has given back to us something that we lost to sin long time ago. See, at the very beginning of time, we know that God created Adam and Eve, right? And he gave them dominion. Like, this is what they did. They were in charge of ruling over the earth. He said, go and have dominion over the earth. But now, when they sinned, that dominion was lost. It was tainted. It was taken away. It was given up when they gave into the sin. Now, that desire within us to rule and, and have dominion, it's still there. We were made with that desire to rule. We're made with that, that longing to exercise dominion. And at sin, we lost the ability to do it. 
It was given up, but it still sits inside of us. Because sin has affected our minds, it's affected our desires, and we've never been able to rule really as God first intended until now. Until God said, all right, I'm taking things now into my hand. You've seen what your work accomplishes. Now watch what my work accomplishes. And then he gave us his spirit and gave us the very mind of Christ See, even now, even while we're living under the authority of God, he does not give us orders to fulfill. He's not a taskmaster as if he gives us tasks and we go down the checklist and make sure that we can cross off every box. This is not what our God does. Instead, upon our salvation, instead of giving us this list of policies and procedures to live according to, Instead, he's given us his very mind and his spirit. And so now, instead of going through and living according to policies, now he's given us ability to judge. Now he's given us with the mind of Christ an ability to discern the things of God versus the things that are of Satan. We have this ability. So he hasn't given us these rules. He has given us and restore to us the ability to exercise dominion and rule because we can recognize what is of God and what is not. See, God empowers us to go and make decisions. He empowers us to go and live according to his will because we don't question it anymore. Now I know what his will is. Now I have the ability to discern properly, and now I can exercise rule because I know how to judge well. He's restored our ability to rule and exercise this dominion because it's not our own ideas. It's the mind of Christ exercising that dominion through us. And that's what it means to truly live in freedom, not just free from death, not just free from sin, but free to exercise the discernment that God has given to us and walk accordingly See, the effects of sin begin to diminish as we see things according to the mind of Christ, living according to his truth, his reality, and according to the natural order of things. There's one last thing we have to note this morning, and it's this. Paul is talking about the deep things of God and the access to his spirit that we have. He's telling them how with the Spirit of God, we actually have the mind of Christ. And in the very next sentence, look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's verse 1. I'm actually going to read um, the last verse of chapter 2 just to set the context. Look, look at this. He says, For us who understood the mind of the Lord, uh, for who has the understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Now watch. But I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Do you see this dichotomy? But we have the mind of Christ, but I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and, having, and behaving only in a human way? 
The Spirit has given us the ability and the access to the mind of Christ, but we have the decision to make if whether we're going to use that mind and live that way or still remain in seeing things according to the ways of man. His spirit is ours. His mind is ours. And we grow. That mind increases in us and renews our thinking. It transforms us as we walk in surrender, giving ourselves to him alone, giving him the place to work. It takes time. It takes the waiting. Time protected from every other thing that could be and would be and will be if we don't intentionally take measures to stop it. We have to protect time with God and nothing else. Shutting everything else out, every other distraction, every other thing. Because waiting on God develops in us the mind of Christ. Waiting on God develops in us the character of Christ. It's in the waiting. There's a quote someone once said that says, there is actually something happening while nothing is happening. God uses waiting to change us. He uses the waiting to change us. And there's a difference now between waiting on God to answer our prayers. We talked about when we're under those times of pressure and we're just seeking God's face for, to intervene in, in our circumstances. There's a difference between waiting on that because now we're just waiting for answers and coming over here and just saying, I'm just waiting on you. You are important enough to me to be a priority in my life that I am here for no other reason but just be with you. And if you want to speak, I'm anxious to hear. And if you want to be still and be silent, we can sit in silence together. That's okay. It's in the stillness when nothing is happening that the deeper things are happening. That transformation is working in us. He's calling us to the waiting. And so I want to challenge each one of you as a church, as a congregation, to protect time to wait on God. Plan it and follow that plan. Get alone. Like it says in Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And in that silence, if you see and hear and experiencing nothing, that's okay. You're waiting. You're waiting. God is with you and he sees you and he's working on you in the deeper places even when it's not a conscious working to you. It's okay to get bored. It's worth the wait. He's refining us. He's renewing your mind. He sees you. My prayer is that the Lord wouldn't find us as he found his disciples when he took them to the garden right before he's arrested. And he said, come and wait, just wait with me. Wait and watch and pray with me. And he comes and finds them. Could you not wait one hour? Could you not wait and pray with me one hour? It's in the waiting. We have to allow him to do his work. We can believe him. We can take him at his word. We can trust him. We can know that we have the spirit 
of God in us and now the mind of Christ because the Spirit shows us the mind of Christ. But we have to give time for that Spirit to reveal things to our mind and our heart and develop those things into who we are. So now there's no longer this dichotomy. So it's not like thinking of the, fresh, of the flesh this moment and then thinking according to the mind of Christ this moment. But slowly with time, as we give time and protect time, the mind of Christ in, invades, overwhelms the mind of the flesh, and now all that is left is the mind of Christ, is the discerning things according to the will of God. We have to protect time. When we look at the state of things and the condition of things now, man, our culture is all about rushing fast. The, 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 the more that you can get done and the less time, the better, because there's more that we have to do. There's more experience to be had. You will be rushed. You likely experience this on a daily basis, but he's saying protect time and just be still. In the midst of the chaos and activity, wait on me. Protect that time and watch what I can do with it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the mind of Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing the things of God. Thank you that you, you, you want to show us these things. You want to form your character in us. And you're not asking us to overcome obstacles to achieve that. You're just, you're just asking us to wait. Our work is in the waiting. That's all it is. So, Lord, would you quicken us this week? Would you quicken us as we go forward, Lord, to build this into our life? Build in the waiting. And in the silence and in that waiting, continue your work in us, that we would be your workmanship and that when people look at your work, they will glorify God because they see the beauty of your work. Far be it from us to be a people that claim to be your sons and daughters, claim to be your workmanship, and then go show the world a work that is not of you. Let us be a work, a workmanship that is truly things that you have done in us and not the things that we do in and of ourselves. I trust your work, Lord. I know it's good, and I know that you bring every good work to completion. So we honor you in this, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.